the cloud came in and the glory filled the tabernacle, the people stayed and they waited. That's what's going on as God is cleaning them and God is claiming them as his own people, filling the tabernacle in the midst of them. What is happening is these people are living in submissive rhythm to who God is. And they're really, it's about responding to a God that does this with worship. Where God goes and when he goes, I go. A holy God must have a holy home. And when he makes that home in the midst of his people, they begin to live in a submissive rhythm to him. I wonder if that's you today. Have you been cleansed by God through Jesus Christ? Maybe there's a specific sin or a specific situation or an event or a, or a mistake in your head that you feel that is maybe left you out of bounds, that God would never love me, that he would never come to me to be present with me. He would never fill me. He would never be near to me. God would be distant from me. He'd be separate from me. And maybe you've spent your life trying to make up for it. Maybe you're trying really hard to do better. And maybe that attempt has left you just simply failing again and again and again. And maybe today's the moment where you say, you know what, I need the Lord to cleanse me. I need to receive his washing through faith in Christ and the renewal and filling of God the Holy Spirit. I need the glory of the Lord to fill me, to cleanse me from my unrighteousness. If that's you here today, please don't leave without the assurance of cleansing before God through the application of Christ's work to you and the filling of the Spirit. Maybe you feel so... Uh, uh, enslaved to this, this suffering, this sin, you feel so oppressed by it, shackled in it, that you feel claimed by it, that it literally governs you, that you've, your life has been set apart and, and uh, um, characterized by that very thing. Today is an invitation to look at the end of Exodus and realize that God is getting what he wants in the lives of these people as he is first cleaning them by the application of his holiness. And he's claiming them. He sends his spirit to them, his glory. Is that you today? Maybe God is inviting you this morning, prompting your heart to turn to Christ who is the temple, as we talked about before, who is the one in which the presence of God dwelt among men, to turn to him in faith, to cry out to him for cleansing, knowing that when you ask Jesus to clean you, he will. Maybe today is the day where you say, I want to be united with Jesus by faith in his death and resurrection. Oh God, claim me as your own.
I think that's what we see Exodus really teaching us and, and really coming to a conclusion in this story is that God is claiming these people as his presence fills the tabernacle. These are his. A holy God claims for himself a holy home in which to be with his people. So we see at the end is really a fulfillment of what God wants, a keeping of his promise that this design did not leave them or him homeless, but that God takes residence in the midst of his people and he leads them and they follow him. What a contrast from the opening chapters of this book, right? That's not where we started. But I think as we end this book, it would be a helpful thing to take a look back together. To maybe think through some of the things that we've learned. Some of the ways in which God has deepened our faith, widened our vision, and heightened our joy in the salvation of God. So it's my hope that now that we transition and close this out by just thinking and reflecting upon this journey through Exodus. I put something on the city this week. Some of you were able to maybe think through this and interact with it. Some of you not. If you're not on the city, I encourage you to, to sign up. We can give you information about that after. It's one of the ways that we communicate as a congregation. It was simply put out there, this. What is the one attribute of God? Now, looking back through all 40 chapters, what is the one attribute of God that, that just shines most bright as you've engaged this, this book? Or the one that is most poignant, powerful? Yeah, you see a number of things, but if I had to pick one attribute of God, one characteristic of God that I just can't miss, what would that be? Because, think about it for a moment, and then I'll actually allow for response, not just rhetorical. So I think if there's one thing that has happened over the last year and a half as we've walked through this book, is that, that God has used this book to deepen our understanding and our knowledge of who the Lord is. So, how has he done that for you? Would anybody just simply share the attribute? We don't need a story. I'm going to share enough of those that are going to get long. Just an attribute. This is what I see in Exodus. The Lord is present. present. He's faithful. Never gives up on his people. He is mighty to save. He is holy, absolutely. You think about some of these answers, and I'm sure there's more, but there's specific places, right? There's, there's memories. Go, ah, in this moment, he revealed himself to be faithful, right? We think about this exodus, really, what's it all about? It's about God keeping his promise to Abraham. 
You open up the, the, the book of Exodus and you see that, that all this suffering and slavery was taking place, but God saw it and God heard it. God knew. Why? Because he remembered his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That redemption is on the basis of his covenant. Right? That he made a promise long ago to Abraham. And by all means, no matter how oppressive and how long the slavery is, no matter how awful and gruesome it may become, when the Lord says he's going to do something, you can count on it. He will bless Abraham's offspring. The Lord is faithful. We saw his power. I think in layman's terms, we could say that Yahweh beat the living tar out of Pharaoh. He smacked him around. Through plagues. Right? He showed his power. God is powerful. The Lord is no weakling. His arm is not too short. Amen? He is mighty to save. The Lord is holy. He revealed His law. Let us not forget the Levites who repented of their sin but then took a sword in their hand and slayed the unrepentant because of the holiness of God against all sin. Sinai, the people interact with the glory that descends on the mountain. They tremble in fear because the Lord is awesome. He's holy. He's transcendent. He's gloriously other. And in the midst of seeing Him, we come face to face with our profanity, our fallenness, We are not like God, are we? The Lord is holy. The Lord is powerful. He is faithful. I think you can't miss either the idea throughout Exodus that He is gracious. Our God is a gracious God. In no way, shape, or form did Israel deserve this favor, did they? No. They did not deserve this. It was grace, right? Covenantal love, right? Exodus 34, 7, circle it, write it down. A defining moment where God reveals himself. Show me your glory. God shows up. Moses sees the glory of God. He proclaims his name. And in the midst of that proclamation, we see steadfast love and faithfulness. Covenantal love. The New Testament, grace, mercy. The Lord is gracious. He does forgive iniquity. You see divine grace weaved through this story. Even the fact that he's here filling the tabernacle, leading a people who worshipped a golden calf few minutes ago, like minutes ago, so it would seem, at least in the reading. 
not long ago. And now he's with them. He's gracious. I think Exodus has deepened our knowledge and our love for who the Lord is. He's faithful. He's powerful. He's gracious. He's holy. And I think what it does, what deepening looks like is this, is that we trust him, right? We can trust in a God that's faithful. No matter what we're going through, we can place our hope and faith and trust in a God who is faithful. When he says he's going to do something, he will do it. So maybe some of you here today are wrestling with unbelief. I don't know if I can trust God. I don't know if I can count on his promises. Please be reminded of Exodus. Maybe some of you think that sin is no big deal. Oh, everybody does it. Maybe Exodus causes you to a newfound repentance of your sin. You run from it. You want nothing to do with it because you fear the Lord. And you seek to obey his command. See, Exodus inspires not just faith, but obedience. Lord, whatever you say, I'm going to do it. Because you're holy and you're truth and you're good. So there may be some situation where you know or at least question, am I really obeying God in this? Maybe it's not that big of a deal because so-and-so does it. And maybe Exodus has said, you know what? The Lord is holy. Sin is a major problem. It is a high obstacle between you and God that is only removed by faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. And I think gratitude always prompts, I'm sorry, grace always prompts in us gratitude, right? How do we respond to grace? Well, we can't pay God back. But we can say thank you with every thought, with every word, and with every action. We're people that respond to this kind of God, a faithful, loving, holy, gracious God with thanksgiving. Maybe over the next 10 days or so, you spend less time thinking about how you're going to cook your turkey and more time about looking back on your life and looking at your life in the moment and saying, wow, I see God's grace. He is a gracious God. Thank you, Lord, for your work in my life. It's deepened our knowledge of God. It's also uh, widened our view of salvation. Why does God do this? Right? Why does God redeem? Why does he set us free? Because I think that we have a twisted understanding of freedom. Right? Freedom is this. No authority. Right? You look back and say, oh, well, Pharaoh was oppressive. These people couldn't do what they wanted to do. They didn't have freedom to just live their lives. And so God wanting them to have freedom to just live their lives, went and felt bad for them, took them out, and then let them go do whatever they wanted to do. Because freedom is the absence of restraint. No boundaries. Leave me alone. Let me do whatever I want. But I think what we see here is Exodus shows us that redemption, being set free, true freedom, is not about being independent. It's about who's the boss. Do we have a boss that's oppressive to destroy us and to manipulate us? Pharaoh or sin, ultimately. Or do we have someone that is faithful 
and gracious and loving and holy. You see, true freedom is about who we are enslaved to. We're a slave of righteousness now. We're a servant of God. Set him apart. Set up the thing so that what? You can serve me. The freedom is that redemption is about freedom from oppression, yes, but it is for worship of God. That that's why God has saved us from our sin, so that we can worship him. Not just do what we want. Please don't miss that. If you think, well, maybe that's overstated, you say, listen, we've been talking about the law and the tabernacle for a very long time. And those plagues went kind of quick. You know, verse 12, or chapter 12, we're kind of moved on from Egypt. Barring a, a song by Moses and, you know, a, a, a sea people walk through. But we're done. I mean, it's over. 28 chapters on covenant. God saved us for worship. Not for independence. That's why God redeems. So I just throw it out there for you to consider. Is that your mindset when you think about what God has done? Is it, God saved me, yay, I don't have to go to hell. Now I can do whatever I want until he comes and get me for heaven. No, there's a life of worship that he's called you to. The life of faith. The life of repentance. The life of obedience. The life of fear before him. Whatever you want, God. Wherever you go, whenever you go there, I will follow you. If you don't go, I'm staying right here. I'm going to live in submissive, submissive rhythm with your presence in my life. That's profound. That's not the typical God loves you and has a plan for your life. This is God has redeemed you so that you can serve him and worship him with every decision. And I think finally, and I'll end here, the Exodus has not only deepened our knowledge and love for, the, for who the Lord is, it has not just widened our view of salvation, that is, how and why God saves, but it has also heightened our joy in Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all that this book foreshadows. I'm no photographer. I take a thousand pictures here of mostly meaningless things. And my kids. They're meaningful. Didn't we just talk about that? There's this technique in image processing called background subtraction. That is, you take a look at the image, and you can, with manipulation software, probably a Mac, sorry, PC guys, you can point to the background and remove the background. You retain the object, you retain the foreground, but you lose the background. And I think for many of us, we've come to Jesus first. Someone say amen. Right? That we heard the gospel. We heard about redemption through Jesus. We read Galatians 4, that he was born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law. That Jesus is our redeemer. He set us free from sin. Someone say Amen to that. That's all good. I'm with you. 
But the question is this. Do we understand the background of biblical redemption? Or has that been removed from us? I think that's the beauty of what we have done in this book. We've said, listen, we're going old school. We're going way back. We're going to take a look at the background, the context for Christ's redemption of his people. I think that's the wonder of this, is that when we see the death of the firstborn, when we see the blood that's spilled, the Passover lamb, when we see that God saves by judging a son, we see that God sets people free from sin and the law, and that they now have a new Lord in which to worship and follow and obey. And now, through his death and resurrection, his perfect obedience, his perfect priesthood, which Moses, what? Foreshadows, albeit, you know, imperfectly. We come to the realization that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything. That Exodus is the backdrop of what Christ's redemption has secured in our lives. That the Lord has set us free. And he set us apart as his own people so that we might worship him. We see the fulfillment of that in Jesus Christ. And so today, if you need to be cleansed, that's me, that's everyone. If you need to be claimed, that's me, that's everyone. You take a look at this story, you see how it ends. And you say, yeah, Jesus is that. That story points to another one. And it's fulfilled in Jesus. And really what I want for, for my own self is that that story begins to define who I am. I was enslaved in sin. And God set me free. And he set me apart through Jesus Christ. Don't leave today without being truly free. Don't believe the lies of the world that says that freedom is simply about doing what you want, living without restraint. Freedom is knowing, enjoying the God who is and has been revealed in this book. True freedom is being in a covenantal relationship with your Creator. Savior, Redeemer, and now the one who lives inside of you, who takes residence in your life, who the glory of the Lord begins to fill you as his home by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he will indeed lead you and bring you to the heavenly home where we will see him face to face. Please let this story be a defining moment for you. It reshapes your identity and inspires behavior of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, repentance of sin, fearing the Lord, obeying His commands, and hoping for an eternal home with Him. Can we do that together? The Lord has set us free. And he set us apart as his own people so that we might worship him.
Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, imperfect attempt to conclude well, to preach this passage. It is my prayer that your word takes root in the lives of every man, woman, and child in this room, including my own. You are a gracious God. You're a loving God. You're a faithful God. You're a powerful God. You alone are Lord. Please cleanse us, claim us as your own people who worship you today. We ask this in his name.